I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a badass crossbow-wielding monster killer who works for the Vatican. His name, Sam Helsing. When news reaches the Vatican that a Transylvanian town is being besieged by some unknown but malevolent force, they dispatch Sam immediately. Upon arriving, he finds he has to battle Frankenstein's monster, a werewolf, Dracula, and all four of his sexy vampire brides. Luckily, he manages to do this, but sadly, the sexy love interest, possibly played by Kate Beckinsale, I did not fact-check this, uh, dies in the process. Yeah, uh, oh, actually, sorry, that I, I, what I've done there, I've confused you with Van Helsing from the film uh, Van Helsing. Yep, I've, that's all right. That's what I've definitely done. That's not you at all. Uh, what I should have said is this is a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dave Moran, and joining me is my luscious locked warrior, co-host Sam Foster. Hello. This week, Danny reviews a film in which Leonardo DiCaprio reportedly isn't raped by a bear. The Revenant is a story about some men and their beards being pushed to the limits of human endurance. In a place so cold, Danny was lucky not to lose a toe just watching it. The Academy has already showered it with Oscar noms, and today we'll find out whether it's up for an even more prestigious award, Film Danny Liked. Less recognised by Oscar and his chums was acclaimed boxing drama Creed, the Rocky spin-off in which the son of the Italian stallion's old rival turns up at his restaurant wanting to learn how to go the distance. I went to see if it deserves all that critical praise, or ought to be tossed out like Adrian's Thanksgiving turkey. Elsewhere in the podcast, Donald Trump shows signs that he might have found a film he likes even more than Citizen Kane, Jennifer Lawrence circles another awesome-sounding project, and Hollywood's diversity problem is solved by two white male podcasters. You're welcome. All that should just leave enough time for me to record myself having sex with a pie, in a tribute to a film whose name escapes me. I just feel like it will make good radio. I can't wait.
Chris Young got in touch to inform us of a very interesting news story. I'm quite happy that we have the chance in this podcast to mention Donald Trump. He's kind of the most fun thing to discuss in any context out there at the moment. Absolutely, he's a ridiculous man. So it's great to see that he's waded into the world of films. He cropped up briefly in our quiz the other day um, when we were asking what his favourite film was. It's Citizen Kane. Yeah. The obvious choice for a Trump man. A film about a white guy who inherits a load of money, proceeds to make everyone's life a misery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know, I, don't know what, I don't know what he got Couldn't out make of it. it up. Donald Trump is renting out a theatre near Des Moines, Iowa on Friday evening to host a free screening of Michael Bay's 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. So the sort of story behind it is that Michael Bay has taken a turn away from robots and explosions to make a film just about explosions. Yeah. <laughs> Cut out the robots. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be like more of his, it's more personal, less uh, blockbustery piece, I guess, but it's still got loads of soldiers and because that's what he likes. Yeah, he likes guns. In uh, September 2012, the US diplomatic compound in Benghazi came under siege and um, the US ambassador was killed by a bunch of nasty people. And it became the center of a huge um, partisan controversy in the United States because the Republicans believed there'd been some kind of cover up and that it was evidence of how Obama is a kind of weakling who will bend over backwards to let the Muslims destroy us all. No, no. So it's been this ongoing scandal and they like to drag it out whenever they possibly can. So this movie, which is supposed to be apolitical, according to Michael Bay, Obviously, Trump considers it to be a bit political, I yeah. guess. I guess he doesn't seem to be like that even-handed, and he's hoping, you know, that it will be embarrassing or that it just shows that, you know, the only reason anyone got out there alive was down to good old American heroism and not anything that the Democrats did. It sounds like, um, I just like how Trump is so prevalent in the news. It feels like he just will just piggyback onto any sort of news item. It's like Taylor Swift rents up, buys every single Taylor Swift ticket for her new concert or something. <laughs> Anything that's big, he'll just like somehow piggyback onto to make sure the news is constantly talking about him. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's quite a good move from that perspective. But while well, we're talking about him. Exactly. And it's worked. We that... fallen straight into his trap. <laughs> that's what he wanted. The funniest thing I find about this film is that uh, John Krasinski, who probably hasn't got that much of a movie career, but is best known as playing the Martin Freeman character from the American version of The Office and husband of Emily Blunt, so he must be like a great guy, mm. uh, has like hit the gym and now he's like a sort of badass soldier where before he was just like like doing a sort of deadpan look to camera. Yeah, the only thing I've seen him in other than The Office is in Away We Go, that really gentle Sam Mendes film in which he's someone's, but when you saw that, you were like, someone's nice This guy looks boyfriend. like a fucking Marine, right? <laughs> marine potential. I just wanted to see him plug a dude. And yeah. while singing the Stars and Stripes or whatever. Yeah, it's quite it's quite bizarre. Quite a bizarre sounding film. Not one that I'm probably going to see. Does Michael Bay have some sort of golden handshake deal with whatever studio Transformers do? They goes off and makes like these weird like pain and gain. It's like between robot movies, just give me some money to make some another random film. Maybe he does. Because I don't know if much... Pain and Gain was that successful. Exactly. Yeah. And this one has also been, considering that it's a big tub thumping war film, it hasn't really made that American sniper dollar. You know what I mean? A sweet sniper dollar. A sweet sniper dollar. I don't know why anyone in this country would go to see it. No. Maybe Donald Trump needs to throw a free screening over here. That's the only way he's going to get the punters in. Well, he can't come over, right? They've got a debate wherever he can even come over now because of the signatures. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Things are looking dire for 13 hours in this country. Yeah, that's that sounds more like news and correspondence, but I'm including it in this section because Chris wrote in and said, film chat thoughts, question mark. Well, those are our thoughts, Chris. So those are our thoughts. I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy too. Thanks for writing in. Thanks, Chris. One other thing before we close up this section. James Andrews got in touch with me in a personal capacity. 
uh, which didn't, I thought was quite um, didn't didn't, didn't include me in this conversation. Official channels, if you want to talk to me about film chat, James. Anyway, he wanted to make very clear that we were mispronouncing David Bowie's name for a lot of the last podcast. We were, were doing a tribute to him. Were we saying Bowie or Bowie? We were saying Bowie. And I even asked you, and you were like, "It's Bowie," but that was wrong. That's wrong. Yeah, it's Bowie. It's Bowie. It's like as in Zoe. This is my logic. I'm willing to accept that I'm wrong, but Duncan Jones was originally called Zowie Bowie, and it's spelled Z-O-W-I-E. And I think you pronounce that, there's no way that's Zoe. That's wow. Zowie. And so I thought it's deliberately named him, a ne- you know, so it rhymes. Yeah, but he, so, did rhyme, he did name him so it rhymed, but it's pronounced Zoe. So uh, James sent me a video called David Bowie Says His Own Name, and it's like loads of clips of him saying his own name. I feel incredibly ignorant. And one of them is him saying... Uh, my son's name is pronounced Zoe Bowie. You know, he says really? something like that. Yeah, he's very explicit about is, it. I listened to our podcast back because that's the kind of narcissist I am, and I think we switched between the two. Yeah, I think we did. And even though you told me Bowie, I was still yeah, I was flipping and flopping. So I don't really know, but there was method in my you know wrongness. I, I, I reverse engineered that argument, James. Well, you're hardly the first person to make that error. That's so I'm sorry, Jamez. Ugh, ugh, I did it again. <laughs> Thank you, Jamez. Well, we do have a history of mispronouncing names on this podcast. That's so what it's we do. Part, it's part of our charm. It's part of our charm, Jamez. Thank you, Jamez. One final thing is that it is awards season. Everyone's getting awards, giving awards. And we figured Film Chat's got to get in on the party. So we're going to have our own awards show. I mean, um, no one will be there. It'll just be us. But our take on it is that we are going to nominate and award the most left-field choices in all the categories. Well, you know, a lot of these big um, award ceremonies, they're all in the same part of the year, and they tend to only recognise awards that are released around the same time of year. Exactly. And we want to broaden the debate a little bit and maybe look at things that are normally not really highlighted or things that have been overlooked. Yes. So, for example, I'm nominating Jim Broadbent's turn in The Big Game. Yeah, he plays the head of the CIA. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> what a performance. It's an incredible performance. It's one of those things that no one else would ever mention, probably ever. <laughs> that's and that's re- exactly that's why. That's the criteria. That's exactly why uh, we, need, we need our ceremony. I'm also nominating Dev Patel, best lead actor for his work in Chappie. Yes, that's an excellent one. So we yeah. want your left field choices for nominations. Yeah, so send us in your left field choices. We're still working on the name. We're thinking the lefties, unless that sounds too political. The left fieldies, the wackies. Also, if you can think of like a good name as well, send that in because we obviously are struggling here. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tips, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's been to print. So last week we covered the Oscars So White controversy and over the week it's sort of blown up with various people weighing in. In fact, it seems like everyone's weighing in. So um, first off, Spike Lee and Jada Pinkett Smith have tried to bring attention to it by boycotting the Oscars. They're not going to go. I mean, neither of them are nominated, but I guess they're prominent African-American film industry types. (laughs) Spike Lee had a pretty uh, great response, he wrote. Mean and disrespect to my friends, host Chris Rock and producer Reggie Hudlin, President Isaacs and the Academy. The Academy's in bold there. But how is it possible for the second consecutive year all 20 contenders under the actor category are white? And let's not even get into the other branches. 40 white actors in two years and no flavor at all? We can act. WTF. 
As I see it, the Academy Awards is not where the real battle is. It's in the executive office of the Hollywood studios and TV cable networks. This is where the gatekeepers decide what gets made and what gets jettisoned to turn around or scrap heap. This is what's important. The gatekeepers. Those are the green light vote. As the great actor Leslie Odom Jr. sings and dances in the game-changing Broadway musical, Hamilton, I want to be in the room where it happens! People, the truth is we ain't in those rooms and until minorities are, the Oscar nominees will remain Lily White. Powerful and somewhat accurate stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of one of the things that's kind of cool about this controversy um, is that it is... I think that even the people who really have their heads in the sand about the whole mod, you know, modern racism thing have to acknowledge that it's wrong for 40 actors in a row to be nominated by Oscars and not one of them be anything except white. So you can't just say something like, oh, well, they made this film about black people last year and people liked it. Or like, oh, you know, this TV show exists and it's about black people. But it, it's it's become something, you know, it's such clear evidence that this problem exists. Absolutely. And other prominent people have chipped in. David O'Yellowo chipped in to say he's an Academy member and this doesn't represent him. Ryan Coogler, director of Creed, uh, said that this was a problem uh, to do with film criticism. Not enough black film critics or um, critics of ethnic minorities with big voices in the film industry. The film criticism is very undiverse, actually. It's very dominated by white men. Um, but the, probably the person who's got the most flack is Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who's uh, a black woman herself and is also the president of the Academy has responded, and this is her statement. I'd like to acknowledge the wonderful work of this year's nominees. While we celebrate their extraordinary achievements, I'm both heartbroken and frustrated about the lack of inclusion. This is a difficult but important conversation, and it's time for big changes. The Academy is taking dramatic steps to alter the makeup of our membership. In the coming days and weeks, we will conduct a review of our membership recruitment in order to bring about much-needed diversity in our 2016 class and beyond. As many of you know, we have implemented changes to diversify our membership in the last four years. But the change is not coming as fast as we would like. We need to do more and better and more quickly. This isn't unprecedented for the Academy. In the 60s and 70s, it was about recruiting younger members to stay vital and relevant. In 2016, the mandate is inclusion in all facets, gender, race, ethnicity and sexual orientation. We recognise the very real concerns of our community. And I so appreciate all of you have reached out to me in our efforts to move forward together. Which is a pretty cool statement from Cheryl. Yeah, it's a great statement. It's really strongly worded and uh, says exactly the right thing. But I'm sort of more with Spike Lee in that the Oscars are just representing a certain type of movie from an industry. So in order for the Oscars to be more diverse, there need to be more films with more black yeah. people. And for that to happen, it's like a sort of... Well, it's, de- it's obviously... They're getting the heat for an yeah. industry-wise It's problem. a symptom and not the disease. Absolutely. Definitely. But at the same time, no matter what you think of the Oscars, even though they're clearly not the arbiters of uh, film taste or anything, they do offer films much greater platforms and uh, they have an impact on what people watch and what um, is in people's uh, kind of cultural space and what people think about. And so if they can, even though it's just a sort of sign of of a bigger underlying problem, if they do manage to force some more diversity in the oscars even you know if they have to kick some of the old white men out before they die (laughs) of natural causes um then that could itself have an effect to cause more of these kinds of movies to be made because you feel like there are the people out there who have the biggest platform to decide what movies are good and what aren't are more likely to listen to you and that you know so uh, racism's killed there we saw that just then i think we've i think we've resolved pretty much saw that we set the path you know, yeah, we put things in the right direction at least. This podcast isn't very diverse at all. It's just free, free white people. We've got a girl, don't we? Oh, we got a girl. That helps, doesn't it? That's we don't let her talk though. <laughs>
Moving on from that trivial diversity nonsense into much more important news about ultimate fighting. You like fighting, don't you, Danny? I love fighting. Well, you know what's better than that? Ultimate fighting. I think it's a cross between fighting and ultimate frisbee. Yeah. And the big star in the world of women's ultimate fighting, the ultimate woman fighter, is Ronda Rousey who I thought that I didn't know, but looking at this picture of her right now, I realise is in Fast and Furious 7. She does some fighting in that. That's what she's good at. And um, her film career is obviously taking off, and she's going to co-star with Tina Fey, who is um, so hot right now and has been so hot for many years. She's great. Everyone loves Tina Fey. Um, In a film called Do Nothing Bitches. I believe that Do Nothing Bitches is some kind of Ronda Rousey quote. My my um, sources informed me earlier today when we were talking about the podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, she said something like, at least I'm not one of those do-nothing bitches or something about her own athleticism. Sure. Because uh, she does a lot. She is a do-something bitch. She Yeah, and what she does is beating up people normally. Yeah. Which she does very effectively. Many and Paula Pell, who's an SNL writer who recently wrote Sisters, which is that Tina Fey, Amy Poehler movie, she obviously watched that YouTube clip and fell in love with the phrase do nothing bitches and uh, decided that her friend Tina and Rhonda should star in a film together. Maybe she thought of Tina Fey because of the weekend update segment on SNL, which uh, she uh, was praising Hillary Clinton and saying that even though people call her a bitch, at least bitches get stuff done. Yeah, bitches new black. So maybe Tina Fey will be playing Hillary Clinton in the whole thing? Or maybe well, with Kate McKinnon playing well, Hillary Clinton? this is a bit of a... I'm thinking of like twins or uh, other movies where you get like a sort of muscle bound action hero and a comedian in a same movie together. Mm. But this is this the first female example. It might be maybe that's you yeah know. because there aren't that many muscle. There's like a new movie coming heroes. out with Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. Right. You know, get a funny person and someone who's good at punching. But this one with women. Together. Yeah. So well, twist you, on the old eighties formula, I guess. Do you want? Do you want to hear what it's about? Absolutely. The story follows wealthy, pampered wives who get a rude awakening at a camp where Rousey plays the no-nonsense instructor. It sounds like a a sort of lame episode of Family Guy or something. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We'll make for a hilarious film. Final bit of news is uh, periodically we just let us all check in with Jennifer Lawrence's career, it seems, on this podcast. Yeah, it makes us feel like we're her friend. We are. Well, one day we'll be our friend. One day. One day she'll be our friend. So her latest project she's got lined up is the biopic Marita. You know Marita Lorenz? Mm. Of course. Mm, yes, very familiar with For her. For those not in the know, like I was this morning before I read this news story, Marita Lorenz was a woman, a kind of socialite, I guess, who met and had an affair with Fidel Castro in 1959 when she was 19, fell pregnant, had an abortion, left Cuba joined an anti-communist movement in the US and then she's recruited by the CIA to potentially assassinate Castro. Obviously, she didn't succeed or didn't go through with it, I guess. And then apparently she also had an affair with a Venezuelan dictator and claimed she was involved with JFK's assassination and spied on diplomats for the FBI. She's still alive and she's written two autobiographies. So <laughs> It sounds like enough of two. Yeah, she sounds like a pretty interesting lady. Well, I can't tell based on that story whether she likes communists or not. 
<laughs> She's obviously She just loves the party. And uh, the script has been written party. by... Hey, hey. Hey, hey. This guy. Thank you. Uh, the script has been written by Eric Warren Singer, who co-wrote American Hustle. And Sony have snapped it up. So uh, J-Law, after she's fulfilled her X-Men contract obligations of Apocalypse and uh, the sci-fi film Passengers, starring Chris Pratt, is going to do Marita. It sounds uh, super fun. It sounds a little bit like um, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, something like that. It's like a bit wacky and political and crazy. And it sounds like a good project for J-Law. I think she needs to escape these... um, earnest but slightly lame david a russell films and forge your own path yeah that's the thing like um we were discussing this the other day we always we're always doing film chat whether it's been recorded <laughs> or not but like jennifer lawrence is so good in winter's bone and it's by i think in my opinion her best film and now not that she's coasting but she's definitely doing similar kind of roles the david russell films are all kind of the same all kind of like, you know, not stretching herself. So I feel that she's got a lot of potential, which is going untapped at the moment. Yeah, she's like a, she's a huge movie star, but she hasn't made the films that are quite worthy of her. Exactly. But Spain. maybe Marita is the one. Um, Katie, our producer, has whispered in my ear and raised the issue of racial diversity, which you were discussing earlier, and wondered whether these, uh, this is an example of whitewashing because she sounds like a Hispanic character. She's in fact not. She is an American, a Caucasian American. I believe her parents were German. Yeah, so we're not looking at a Gods of Egypt type scenario where no, no. they just cast a bunch of Egyptians with like the whitest <laughs> possible actors. No, sir. No, sir. Great. Let's hope they didn't get like Russell Crowe to play Castro or something. <laughs> Looks like Sam's got a film to review, he's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you, that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much, and try to avoid talking total shy. Okay, start reviewing now. The film I saw this week was Creed, the boxing film, spin-off of the Rocky franchise. It's the seventh film in the Rocky series, which has been going on for a very long time now. And I've only seen Rocky once, so I was hoping there weren't going to be loads of plot points based on the events of Rocky Five or somewhere that I was going to be utterly <laughs> baffled lost. by. But it kind of calls back mainly to the first movie, so I think I was quite you know fortunate in that way. So the basic idea of it is that Apollo Creed, who is um, Rocky's opponent in the original Rocky, had an illegitimate son called Adonis Creed, and uh, who was born after Apollo Creed died. So he was in, uh, he had a kind of a rough childhood and he went to various juvenile detention centers and then he was taken in by Apollo's wife and he became obsessed with his father's boxing legacy and in the movie he heads off to find Rocky and get him to train him because he wants to be a professional boxer like his dad. Here's a clip of him meeting his hero. I heard about a third fight between you and Apollo behind closed doors. How'd you hear about that? Who won? It's kind of a secret. What'd you say your name was? Don. Okay. Well, the girl said you wanted to talk about something? Yeah, I want to talk to you about training me. Training? <laughs> I don't do that stuff no more. Sorry about that. Listen, it's getting kind of late, kid, so I'm going to uh, close up. How good was he? Apollo? Yeah, he was great. He's a perfect fighter. Ain't nobody ever better. So how'd you beat him? Time beat him. Time, you know. Takes everybody out. It's undefeated. Anyway, I got a lot. So when Mickey died, he came and talked to you, right? Talked you out of quitting. Took you to L.A. Trained you. How do you know all this? 
How do you think? What are you, like a cousin? He's my father. Cool, there we go. The, the legends, the two legends meeting. So Creed is the latest kind of remake slash reboot slash sequel slash spin-off, which is this bizarre hybrid genre that really took off in 2015. And um, that year is kind of defined blockbuster-wise by films that called back to earlier franchises in a very knowing way, like Jurassic World and Terminator Genesis and The Force Awakens and arguably Spectre as well. And it's a very strange kind of film, and I've become a bit weirded out by it. <laughs> um, and I kind of, like, it bothers me now, like, the um, the traits of those films. And that hung over this one a little bit for me, yeah, even though the film itself is actually pretty good. And I was, like, quite swept up in it. So I think the thing that's so strange about it is that having these callbacks to an earlier classic in a very knowing way in order to evoke it in the audience's mind undermines the dramatic authenticity of the film. It takes you out of the movie because yeah. you realize that in this film, Adonis Creed isn't wearing a gray hoodie and jogging to trumpet music and punching the air because the, that's what the character just decided to do. But it's because the filmmaker wanted to remind you of the movie Rocky. Yeah. And that's the effect of that in that moment. And then it kind of, uh, makes it's like telling you this is just some made up thing sure. made by someone who loves Rocky, and that slightly spoils it. Even though, even if the rest of the movie is like very heartfelt and serious and very natural, and that effect is heightened and gets more meta and strange when the characters in the film are aware of the original movies and are constantly referencing them and are big fans of them as well. And that was the case in Jurassic World and it was the case in The Force Awakens. There's that scene where Ray meets Harrison Ford and she's like, oh my God, you're Harrison Ford. <laughs> and there's a similar thing like that. Like in the clip you just heard, um, Michael B. Jordan's character, who plays Donis Creed, is quizzing Sylvester Stallone about the events of the previous Rocky films. And it's as though the film is not just made for fans to watch and not just made by a fan but also stars a fan and yeah. the effect is quite postmodern, and that seems wrong for a movie which is a mainstream fist-pumping blockbuster so i find that quite weird and i it's kind of a shame because creed uh, is a pretty good example of that trend even though those kinds of movies are a little bit disappointing it doesn't really break any new narrative ground or shake up tried and tested sports movie formulas, but it does a lot of things right. And ultimately, I was won over by it. You know, I was into it. I got a bit tearful. You know, I was happy when he did well and and all that kind of thing. Sure. Ryan Coogler is the director. He mentioned earlier um, responding to the uh, Oscars so white thing. Uh, and he's a very promising, promising up-and-coming black American filmmaker. He made Fruitvale Station with Michael B. Jordan as well, who's the star of this movie. And, uh, yeah, he's a cool guy. He's, he's up for um, Black Panther. He's supposedly going to direct that. And unlike the other movies, um, which are, were the other movies in this sort of bizarre genre, which are all um, at, you know, made at the behest of studios, this sure. is a passion project for him. Yeah. So... He originally wanted to make it before he even made Fruitvale Station and he managed to get an in, um, a meeting with Sylvester Stallone, having never made a film. Yeah. And he was like, I want to make this movie with you, Sly, uh, in which uh, Apollo Creed's, you train Apollo Creed's son. And Stallone wasn't having it. And then he came back after making Fruitvale Station and they managed to get it to work. So that makes the film a little bit better because it's very personal and he's got a very good handle on the material and he pitches it really well. And the kind of visual language of it is exactly right. It reminded me a little bit of um, Girlhood, one of the really good movies from last year, 
in that it's very grounded and character focused and has that modern kind of handheld gritty in inverted commas style and it has moments of flair and visual flourishes that lend a kind of epic sense to something which is supposed to be a big you know movie it can't all be a kind of kitchen sink thing it's got to be like you know it's got to be a rousing blockbuster film uh, and it pitches that really really well um, particularly there's a sequence in the middle uh, the sort of sent there's like three kind of fight scenes in the film and the central one is all done in a single take uh, kind of Alfonso Cuaron style. Sure. And it's really brilliant. I mean, I'm not a huge boxing film aficionado. Like, I haven't actually seen Raging Bull and stuff like that. But, but as far as I've seen boxing movie scenes, that was uh, right up there. It's really brilliant. And I was really gripped and into it. So that was really good. The performances are also really, really good. Michael B. Jordan is a star. You know, he should have a full career as a Hollywood A-lister. He's absolutely brilliant in this film. I don't think it would have been at all out of place to have offered him a, a Best Actor nomination. He's very... Um, he, he also balances his role exactly right. Um, he's kind of... Uh, grew up kind of as a delinquent. You know, he was in this yeah. juvenile, like, rough upbringing. But at the same time, he's from this rich world because he had this um, multi-millionaire widow mother. Yeah. And... Uh, and he manages to sell that to you, even though there's a kind of contradictory element. So you kind of believe him as a guy who knows how to fight, uh, but also as someone who's a little bit out of place in um, this world of boxers who are mostly working class characters doing it in order to survive. Yeah, that sounds like a... Because the first movie is all about Rocky proving himself. Yeah. But he's got nothing to lose, really. Yeah. But this one... So one of the interesting things about this film, which comes with both positives and negatives, is that they, the dynamic is very different because Rocky is poor and he's just uh, boxing yeah. to get by. And Michael B. Jordan is rich and he's boxing because he just kind of um, feels compelled to do it. Does he want to be his father's son? He wants to make it on... Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to just kind of coast through life. He wants to equal his father's legacy or right, something okay. like that. And the way that they make him the underdog, even though he has loads of money is by pitting him against people who have fought all their lives and he doesn't quite belong, he's not quite one of them. Yeah. Or he, or he feels like he has to demonstrate that he deserves to be among them because the rest of them are much rougher characters. So that that kind of thing is quite interesting. Uh, I also think Sylvester Stallone, who got his uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination, he is also very good in it. Um, and uh, he does a good... Um, I kind of like him as the lovable dope, which yeah. is what he basically is in Rocky. And in this version of the lovable dope character, he's um, kind of sadder and older and more vulnerable. And there's a quite touching scene where he goes to Adrian's grave and he kind of talks to her and he reads the paper to her and stuff. When I watched Rocky, which I saw for the first time quite recently, I found it slightly silly because he talks all the time. He talks to everything. He might as well talk to the lampposts. Yeah. And um, he uh, and I was like, that's a bit like, uh, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. But in this film, having him like talk to the grave of Paulie, his friend, and of, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adrian, his ex-wife, um, <laughs> ex is in dead, <laughs> ex-ex-wife, <laughs> yeah, um, is w works very well. It's very dramatically effective, and he really commits himself to being vulnerable, which he doesn't always do. So I thought I thought he was very good in it. You know, I don't think his nomination is bad at all. So the thing that bothered me about the movie. Um, in addition to the fact that it has that weird remake-itis of being too referential, is that I think it offers some slightly questionable lessons about being a man and overcoming life's, life's obstacles. And in that, it reminded me a little bit of Whiplash. Um, and like Whiplash, it has 
typical male psychological vulnerabilities that are set up in their main characters, very like masculine kind of insecurities. And then instead of resolving them within the film or undermining them, uh, they are just reinforced. So the reason that Adonis wants to become a boxer is because he wants to be his dad and his, the shadow of his dad is over his entire life. And he will judge whether his life is a success or a failure based on what his dad did in his own life. And that is not, in my view, a very healthy way to approach what you do with yourself. Yeah. And even though this film follows the kind of path of Rocky, it's different because Rocky is setting his own goals. He just wants to go the distance. Yeah. But Adonis's goals are set for him by his father. He wants to go his father's distance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't think that is as kind of healthy uh, a goal to have. And it's it lends a different feeling to when he succeeds because it's a bit like, it feels like a sort of bad lesson is being taught. And Rocky got to hear crowns chant his name, but what Adonis wants is to hear crowns chant his father's name. And so I was hoping the movie would listen to his mother more because she doesn't really want him to go into boxing and to kind of teach him more to be his own person. But if it did that, then we wouldn't be watching the Rocky <laughs> remake, <laughs> yeah. which is what the film has to be. So the film ends up being kind of trapped by its own ambitions to be really like Rocky and remind you of Rocky. Because the film is just trying to repeat another film, it can only ever be the shade of something better. Right. And in the same way, because Adonis's character is trying to repeat his father's <laughs> achievements, even when he triumphs, it's just him being the shade of his dad. Sure. And the movie might as well end with like the ghost of his dad shaking his hand. <laughs> So he, so he never escapes his own problems and that's, you know, yeah. and that seemed to be great. So that's what bothered me about the movie. Right, okay. But it's a very good, competently made, beautiful sporting film with some great performances and a slightly pointless romance. But yeah, yeah. broadly speaking, I recommend it. Cool. Better than Star Wars. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-punchingly poor? Out of Danny for the judgment we're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off So The Revenant, big Oscar-nommed film Will DiCaprio get his Oscar? Uh, maybe uh. So the film is quite slight in plot And the trailer gives, kind of takes you up to about an hour into the film so I'm going to like spoil as much as the trailer does. But if you want to go in colds, stop, stop now. So basically the film is about a bunch of trappers somewhere in a very horrible place in America where it's very cold. What is it like 19th century kind of thing? Yeah, something Random like that. Western time. And uh, I can't remember everyone's name, so I'm just going to go by actor's name. So DiCaprio, uh, Tom Hardy, Will Poulter and Dom Gleason are all trappers. At the beginning of the movie, there's they get attacked by a bunch of Native Americans uh, DiCaprio's got a mixed race son his wife who is uh, no longer she is gone she's dead she is no longer she is no longer <laughs> uh, he's got this mixed race son and earlier on in the movie DiCaprio doesn't get raped but gets mauled by a bear okay somehow like in a quite graphic and horrific sequence he's sort of dying and they reason that he's slowing them down so they have to leave him be and events conspire where Tom Hardy uh tries to kill DiCaprio. Uh, DiCaprio's son tries to stop him. Tom Hardy then kills DiCaprio's son and leaves DiCaprio for dead. But DiCaprio doesn't give up that much of a fight. <laughs> and despite having seemingly mortal wounds, he fucking drags himself out and goes on a quest to catch up with Tom Hardy. And meanwhile, there is a kind of separate link plot with these Native American characters and the chief is looking for his daughter who's been kidnapped. 
So they're a bit of a sort of MacGuffin-y kind of element to the film. Here is a clip of uh, DiCaprio dealing with his wounds and trying to uh, go somewhere. Stupid bad. It's really painful. Why aren't I dead? Well, I can see why he's up for the Oscar. Incredible performance. So, um, this is. Uh, directed and co-written by Alejandro Inaritu, and is also shot by Emmanuel Lebeski, who shot Birdman, and he won. He's won an Academy Award twice in a row because he also shot Gravity. And it could be third time lucky for Lebeski because I think, as everyone's talking about, this movie is stunningly shot and it's a real technical marvel. There's lots of long tracking shots where you imagine it must have just taken hours and hours to like work out this stuff that like battle sequences where like there's horses running one way people running into things uh, shots is like real virtuoso camera work but my sort of paper review would be that it's like a quite lean fun adventure movie trapped in a much bigger art house film and it's overlong and very self-important to the point where it becomes slightly ridiculous that's a bit like that's a bit of an Inaritu trademark, isn't it? Yeah, if you've seen Babel, but self-important to the point of being ridiculous, who describes that film quite well. It's got like nods to certain like Herzog movies a bit, a gear of wrath of God in terms of like man and nature and all this stuff. But the film it reminded me of uh, when it was working was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, right. in that it's like a sort of glossy art house treatment of what is essentially a B movie, and the motivation is essentially there's these gruff men in an environment that is trying to kill them and they've got the, they're trying to survive and also they've got personal uh, vengeance against, against each other. And the bits of the movie that work are the sort of chase sequences, escaping the Native Americans or trying to, you know, fight off a bear. And all the, when it's moving, like when there's action, it's really uh, brilliant. But the movie that uh, Alejandro Inarito wants to make, which you get from the ending in particular is some sort of meditative film about DiCaprio thinking about his dead wife a lot. And there's a lot of very well, corny... Like Inception, you mean? Well, the reason you... It's good you point that out because I thought this movie is like uh, Inception in that he's became very... He's a very hot director of Birdman and this is the movie he wants to make in the studio, give him loads of money. Right, yeah, yeah. And this is like the movie he couldn't make in any other point in his career, but because Birdman was such a huge hit, they've given him like hundreds of millions of dollars to make this on the surface quite uncommercial picture. But yeah, he's got this pretentious. Sorry. He went 70 million over budget. Really? 70 million. Wow. According to our producer, and you went 70 million over budget. That's a very expensive CGI that's, bear. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. How many shades of blue do they need that bear guy to wear? Well, all the money is on screen. But basically, the sort of fun chase aspects is burdened down by long dream sequences, flashbacks, and very corny characterization. Especially with the Native Americans. It's very much in the noble savage oh, yeah? uh, mold. And a, bit, a bit like a new world. Where they just Slightly. Sort of, like leap about and crouch and like mumble. Well, there's one character in particular 
who comes across DiCaprio and then is like, just delivers his sort of life story in about four lines. <laughs> now they're mates. Yeah. So uh, it really suffers from a lot of erroneous padding because basically once you've been almost mauled to death by a bear, that's kind of like peak shit that can happen to you. And so him sort of crawling back to civilization is there's a lot of um, setbacks on this, uh, on his path to redemption, I guess, or on his quest. But it quickly kind of becomes repetitive because it's like, how much like how much more can this guy take, you know? Yeah. More by a bear, fall into a trap, all this, you know? And it's just kind of quite ponderous, even though it's always like technically brilliant and you're like, how the hell did they get that shot? That's what kind of keeps you invested. It's not really the story. And so it's the sort of thing of, it's shot in a beautiful way, but it's kind of to no other purpose and then it's beautiful. You know, it's there's no like emotional weight behind it. I've heard it described as like meaningless pain porn or Devin Farachi said that it was like jackass, but an art house film. Was, was that fair? I imagine the director could tell you what it's about, but to me, it wasn't really about anything. I could only view it kind of superficially. And I think that would have been fine if it had stuck to that aspect of the story, but it keeps on going on these longers about death or life or man and beast or something it's all very kind of vague and portentous for no real reason yeah um so dicaprio's sort of the front runner for the oscar just because he needs one now because he's had so many nominations he's performing his nuts off isn't he in this film so. the thing is like his character i would say is sort of shallow to quite bad he's like <laughs> and it's not that he's doing a um bad performance is that there's not really enough there because his character is purely reacting to things it's like he acts very well to get mauled by a bear. He acts very well about being in a freezing river. You know, it's just it's just a sort of it's anyway. Almost, he was in a freezing river. Yeah, but it's also it's just almost like a satire of like how far one man like it's like a sort of trials of Hercules to get an Oscar. It's like you must crawl into a dead horse. You must swim a river in freezing cold temperatures. Yeah, but like. I think that they should give him an Oscar if he'd been in a beautifully warm river. Or, you know, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I mean, maybe the bear. I mean, he wasn't actually more by a bear. So yeah. maybe you know, that's real acting. That's real acting. But all the other people, they're in this miserable place and everyone's talked about how hard it was to film the movie. So I think that their acting would be more impressive if they actually filmed the whole thing in Pinewood. Yeah, exactly. You're probably right. Um, so he's sort of fine, but his role is just of like angry, determined man. And I think... Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is not angry to That's the role I play every day. Yeah. And um, I think Tom Hardy is the real highlight of the film because he's, well, he's just like a better actor. He's just a more entertaining screen presence and he's got more to do. And I feel like D Tom Hardy, I can completely buy as a like grizzly man trapper, you know, like living in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the character just looks like he's grown a beard. Where's a supermodel girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And uh, Donald Gleeson and Will Poulter are also excellent. They have very thin characterization. Like, Donald Gleeson, like, has got a sort of comical, last-minute bit of character development that sort of comes <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, so I would say it's sort of a very silly movie that takes off very seriously, but there's some real cinematic brilliance in it. And I don't want to be like, you know, Inurito just a sort of pompous idiot with a genius crew. But at times, you feel the movie's kind of pulling in two directions. And one, there's like a much better film trapped under delusions of grandeur, I'd say. Um, if it's true that it's like Inception, then it's good that it exists, even if it's not a great movie, similarly, because these kinds of films don't come around every day and the studios don't part with hundreds of millions of dollars to make them all the time. So yeah, we can exactly. celebrate that uh, such a spectacular, uncommercial film was made and has been successful, I think, commercially as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Ooh. 
when Zangraf heard something that changed his life, what he listened to. When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? So last week we were talking about The Martian and we were joshing it a little bit. We joshed it. We took the mickey somewhat because it won the Golden Globes for best comedy, even though it's not a comedy. Yeah. But it has since come to our attention that it was never entered under the category of comedy at all because the category is best comedy slash musical. Yes. And when Danny and I watched The Martian, we promptly got up and left the instant the film finished. And so we missed the big song at the end. Yeah, which, which technically made about. it a musical. And that technically made it a musical. Matt Damon, who has got a big ego, one of yeah. the biggest egos in Hollywood, and he insisted on singing the entire plot of the film to the tune of uh, Life on Mars by David Bowie. Yeah. Because Starman is in the soundtrack, right? But a lot of people were like, well, you got Starman, but wouldn't it have made more sense to put Life on Mars? Well, it is in the film. Yeah. But just at the end of Matt Damon is singing <laughs> yeah. instead of Bowie. Yeah, he, yeah. he actually has a much better voice. Much better. Much better. Much better. Much better. I mean, if you want to see Matt Damon sing, you want to see an example of what a great singer he is, you can YouTube that and you'll find him singing on Eurotrip. You know the film Eurotrip? Absolutely. It's your favorite film, isn't it? Yeah, I love Eurotrip. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he sings a little bit in that film, but it doesn't really show his range. And this is a real showcase for Matt Damon's vocal talent. So we'll just uh, play that at the end. And that's really all we have to... Thanks so much for listening. I'm going to leave you here. Join us next week. We'll be reviewing some more Oscar tip movies. I imagine that's yeah, all the We're going to see more of these like worthy films. Going to see something like the big shorts, maybe or Spotlight. Some of those like big smart men in a room films. Yeah, smart like us. Yeah. Anyway, enjoy Damon singing Bowie. See Bye you next guys. time. Bye. In a god awful Martian storm, I get hit and my suit is torn. Everyone assumes I am dead. I'm just mildly impaled instead Now my friends are nowhere to be seen It's just me and some bad CDs Luckily I'm the botanist Gonna science the shit out of this The supplies that I've got in store Have to last for three years or more I'll be rationing like a pro Gonna have to eat lots of potatoes I grow them in my own shit Oh man, look at those taters grow It's my hoot vegetable show I can make my own water By oxidizing rocket fuel Oh man, I'm the smartest guy I know I hope this fuel doesn't flow I'm the only life on Mars Back at they're so confused The Martian rover looks like it moved 
Seems they found their abandoned man They're forming a rescue plan We can chat a bit, I suppose With a complex system of photos They're sending me fresh supplies I think that sounds rather nice Cause every meal is a saddening bore I've had it 600 times or more At least potatoes keep me alive What's that noise? It sounds like an explosion Ruining my spot farm Oh no, what am I gonna eat? NASA better hurry Take a look at the whiz kid Genius astrophysicist His math Make sure that they are too slow And so their mission is go To save the only life on Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.